The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Well, good morning. It's good to have you with us today, and we are re-recording the sermon from Sunday, April 10th, here uh, the day after on Monday, April 11th. We had some technical difficulties, so we just wanted to make this as a matter of record. So we're going to go through the sermon, and we're going to kind of more teach it than preach it, if that makes sense, but it's the same information. We are in a current series, if you've been with us, over the greater than, and this week is greater than any applicant, greater than any applicant, from Hebrews 5, 1 through 10. Just want to read the text for us. After that, we'll get into it, and we will go from there. The Bible says, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. For he can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as he says also in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he heard, was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. That is Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 through 10 out of the ESV. As we come to this, I just want to just go through this with you. Because, you know, in many situations as we go through, we, we often don't realize counterfeit things. We often don't see counterfeit things that come our way. And someone once asked a banker how he trained his staff to recognize counterfeit notes and money. And that banker said, it's simple. I have them handling the real thing all day. So when a counterfeit note comes into their hands, they know immediately that it is. And the same is true with us. As we continue this study of Hebrews, we have been working through a long section about Jesus being the great high priest. And that has been affirmed numerous times and will continue to be confirmed numerous times as we go through the next section. But the same is true with our salvation. The death of a sacrifice is meaningless unless the one offering his life is truly qualified to do so. And only Jesus, as we read in this text, is qualified to do so. The gospel alone is the power of God unto salvation, and everything else is an impotent imposter. Either Jesus is the only high priest we need, or we are lost. And so today, do we truly understand what it means that Jesus is the high priest, and that pastors or priests or some holy people cannot take that over from him? Do you see how God has done this in Christ? The big idea today, which is simply the summary of our sermon, is that the perfect qualifying and sin-bearing priestly work of Jesus Christ is the sum and substance of all of our doctrine, delight, and duty. You see, Jesus was the temple to end all temples, the priest to end all priests, and the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. Jesus could have entered our world as a strong man, 
but he entered rather as a vulnerable infant, like us in every way, walking all of our pathways, sharing all of our experiences, understanding every season of our struggles. He then is a sympathetic priest, brother, and friend. But he is also the prophet, priest, and king who came to free us from the delusion of our own wisdom, the deceit of our own righteousness, and the bondage that we had to our self-rule. So today, two reasons why Jesus is the only high priest you will ever need. Two reasons as we go through this. The first is, is that human priests are sinful and fail. The first reason Jesus is the only one you need is because human priests, or maybe even pastors can be inserted there modernly, are sinful and fail. That's in verses 5, 1 through 4. And these are the qualifications of the high priest that were noted in the Old Testament, and the author of Hebrews brings these out. And so what he asks here, and he goes through, is he, he says, first off, that, that, they, that they must be chosen from the people, that these high priests must be chosen from the people. You see that in verse 1, the first part, for every high priest is chosen among men. This is not an angel. It's not from any other realm. Every high priest is taken out of the sphere of humanity. In other words, there were, these were normal, sinful men who became high priests. And they were also human. And it needs to be pointed out that these high priests came from the realm of men. They were not women. And, and even though our world strives to be politically correct and tolerant of anything, the fact is these leaders were men, not women. Ladies, I just want to remind you that this does not demean you. This does not mean you're a second-class citizen in the, in the sphere of heaven. But there are appointed jobs for men and women to do. We are created equally. We are created equal at the cross. We are equal at the cross and in salvation. We are, 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 are seen as the same in God's eyes, sinners in need of a Savior. But there are distinct roles, God-given roles, that each of us have. And one is not better than the other. It's just the responsibilities that God has given. We've taught about that on our website. We mentioned as we preached on this yesterday that you can go and look at that. Back in, uh, I think, in 2017, just search on our website. Uh, I think under the, the heading Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. And certainly there are longer treatments out there, but we did uh, touch some highlights several years ago. But the point of this is, is that Jesus will be, so Jesus was not selected by people. And we'll get to that in verse 5, but here you see that high priests were. But it's also a reminder to us that God not only uses broken people, he makes people broken that he might use them. You know, we'll get more to this in the next point, but you have to understand that each of these high priests were selected by people. Sinners selected another sinner. And sometimes they were extremely broken, not physically, but maybe emotionally, even spiritually at times. But God will often chastise or discipline or bring under submission those he's calling to serve him, and especially those in spiritual leadership. God not only uses broken people, but he makes people broken that he might use them. Second qualification of a high priest, even though they're sinful and fail, is that they were selected by God. Not only men, but God. Notice the middle part of verse 1. They were appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. Now, it's emphasized twice in this context that God is the one who appoints men. Look again at verse 4. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. The men he appointed, God appointed, were just men. Again, they were not super saints. They were normal, finite, sinful men. And the thing that separates them is not that they do not have certain struggles or sins, but it's the appointment that God has given to them. And that's, that's the call of everything. I, I shared yesterday in our sermon that it, 
And I only share this to say that coming up now on our eighth year here at Tower View, which is crazy. It's gone so quickly, but yet so slow at times. It's how life is in God's timing of things. But they had to call me. There was an external call that was offered to me by the church to come serve as their pastor. And in our Baptist world, that means we spend a weekend together and I preach and they ask questions and we eat dinner and we just get to know each other. And they call for a vote following the Sunday service after I preached. There was a call extended to me. But ultimately, while that was part of the process, that process of being in the pastorate was an internal call that God gave me many years ago as I served as a young man. And God, as we say, called me to ministry. Maybe there's a better way to say it. God selected. You could use the wording of verse 2, that, that, uh, or verse 1, that he appointed or that something of that size. But the point is, whether you're a pastor or a priest, God is the one who starts that into motion before all time. But as you grow and mature, he puts that in motion. But you notice also in verse 4 that the high priest did not receive this position by aspiration, but again by appointment. There's a lot of people who want to serve as pastors or, or spiritual leaders. But this point is brought up. God is the one who determined who would become high priest. And so it is today. We don't just let anyone serve or preach in the pulpit. They have to meet qualifications, 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, etc. And no one made themselves to be a high priest because they wanted to be one. This glory and honor was not earned. You, you didn't take a course or go to a class to become a high priest. God selected those who would be, and they got their credentials from an appointment from God. And this you know, reminds me of a story several years ago of one of my mentor pastors who got a call frantically on the weekend from um, someone who wasn't in his congregation, but just was calling through a list. Uh, apparently, they were uh, they were from the state. This, they were from Missouri, where we're at. But the out of town friend minister was not ordained in Missouri. They didn't meet all the qualifications. So technically, by law, even before God, they were quote unquote married. By law, they were not. He was not able to sign the marriage certificate. And so they called my mentor pastor friend, and he just happened uh, uh, by the, by his own goodness, I guess took them on and, and officially signed the documents after talking at length with this other pastor to confirm several factors of his criteria to marry people. And, and, and he could have performed the ceremony as good as the other man, this, this unlicensed person in Missouri, but he was not authorized to do so by law. That's precisely how the priesthood worked. You needed to be appointed by God or else God would not accept it. It is God who decides, not you and not me. It is interesting that if we read Leviticus and Deuteronomy concerning the responsibilities of priests, they were, to use some more modern terms, God's psychologists and psychiatrists. They taught the way to overcome fear and insecurities and anxieties and guilt and shame and, yes, and even sin. They played an important role in the plan of God. And Christian, that's why even as an extension to us, we must remember that we are his ambassadors. And you say, how do you get that? Well, it's not something that we do for ourselves. As Christians, we are called to be ambassadors to the world. We were not, we didn't earn it. We didn't take a course for it. We may train in godliness to be more like Christ, to be a better witness for Christ. But ultimately, we are his ambassadors, 2 Corinthians says, and we do this by his grace, strength, and spirit alone. So we need to remember even as normal believers who are not serving as a spiritual leader of the church, that really it is all about Christ, his glory, and the advancement of his kingdom. All right, so high priests who fail in sin, sin are, are, are why you don't need these ultimately. 
but they were chosen by men, by God. Thirdly, subpoint C here, they were sacrificing for men or man, mankind. Notice verses 1 and 3. It says at the end of verse 1 that he, in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. And again in verse 3, he goes on to say, Because of this, he, that is the high priest, is obligated to offer sacrifices for his own sins, just as he did for those of the people. You see, every high priest was man's representative in things pertaining to God. That means that their job was to lead worship and offer gifts and sacrifices to God on behalf or in behalf of the people. A prophet from God was to bring man God's revelation, but a priest was appointed by God, as we've seen, to bring man God's representation. His responsibilities included offering God gifts and the offerings for sacrifices of sins. You see that in chapter 8, verse 3, and I'll turn there. Chapter 8, verse 3 says, For every high priest is appointed thus to offer gifts and sacrifices, for it is necessary for the priest to be able to have something to offer. These high priests were supposed to have enough so he could give gifts to God, and he was also supposed to recognize that he was a sinner who needed those sacrifices to cover his own sin just like everybody else. And Christian, as an extension application to us, this is why our lives should be a living sacrifice for God's glory and kingdom because we desire that others be clean before the Lord just as we are in Christ. And so they had to offer sacrifices for their sins. This is why human priests or pastors fail because we too are in need of forgiveness of sins. We ultimately cannot take you to heaven. The last point the writer of the Hebrews makes about uh, these high priests and why they fail, even though this is a positive point, if you want to use that wording, is found in verse 2. And he says again, he, that is the high priest, can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward. You see, every high priest was to be gentle in dealing with those who he had charge over. The word gently here implies that a high priest was to be a compassionate man since he had his own struggles and weaknesses. And, and frankly, even today, a good pastor or back then a high priest can't be too lenient or too severe when it comes to dealing with people because he himself knows that what real struggles are. And that phrase that he says there, he says that uh, he's beset with weaknesses uh, is, is a great phrase because it means that every priest continually has his own weaknesses hanging around his neck, to put it very simply. Every man priest has his own frailties and weaknesses always clothing him. And because of this, the high priest always must deal gently with the unlearned and misguided and even those who are quote-unquote spiritually mature. But today you see so many in churches and leaders who project themselves to be higher and holier than many of those who sit in the pews. I, you think about it, there are those who are almost heartless when it comes to a struggling sinner. There are leaders in churches who strut around as if they've reached an ultimate level of spiritual perfection. Brother, sister, I just want to remind you that is a lie, that is a sham. This kind of leader should not be a leader because he's living a life of total false delusion. Every leader has his own struggles and failures, and that is, in part, what makes him a good leader, if, by God's grace, he can wield that to God's glory. He can empathize with people who are struggling and failing, and he can help show them the way to victory. Look, the truth is that no sinful struggle should shock a good, honest leader, because all he has to do is look at himself, take, seven, take one look at himself, and he will deal gently with those who are struggling. 
Christian, I do want to remind you as we close out this first main point and last sub-point is that how we treat others is a sign of how we truly love Christ. I don't need to remind you that 1 John tells us that if we say we love God but we hate our brother or our sister, then the love of God is not in us. How we treat others is a sign of how we truly love Christ. It doesn't mean you're a doormat. It doesn't mean you're a dictator. It just simply means that by God's grace, you show people compassion as Christ has shown you compassion. But that is the first main point, that human leaders are not a good fit for you, ultimately, because they are sinful and fail. Now, let me say something. I've not said it straight, but let me just say it straight. This does not mean that you should not have leaders. It does not mean that this exempts you from being under spiritual leadership. It doesn't exempt you from... Uh, being soul care, your soul being cared for by a a pastoral team or a, a pastor or elders, whatever you want to call them. What it does mean, though, is that ultimately your trust, your 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 ultimate trust, your ultimate looking to, should not be them. The, we will get to Hebrews thirteen seventeen later. It'll talk about obeying your leaders, for they give watch over your soul. But there's a healthy respect we have for our leadership, especially pastors in the church, and you should follow that unless they are pointing you in an ungodly, unbiblical direction. But the ultimate thing is what we're getting ready to go to in, in, in the second point, is that there's only one qualified, there's only one qualified that's met all the Father's requirements, and his name is Jesus. Point number one, human priests are sinful and fail, but point number two, only Jesus meets all the Father's qualifications. I want you to see again in verses 5 and 6 that Jesus was selected by the Father. He was selected by the Father. Verse 5 says, So also Christ did not exalt himself, he did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him, that's referring to the Father, by the Father who said to him, You are my son, today I've begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And what he's saying here is that the one person who had every right to appoint himself being high priest, that being Jesus, he never did it. Jesus Christ did not sit in heaven waiting to get glory by becoming a human high priest on earth. He did not seek that position. God the Father declared this. God the Father appointed his own son to this position. Now, I want to be clear here that we're not saying, as the Jehovah's Witnesses say, that Michael the archangel somehow graduated to be Christ and the Savior of the world. We're not saying, as our Mormon friends say, that Jesus came from another God and another God and eventually worked his way up to be uh, what we now refer to as Jesus. That No, that, that is bad theology all around. It's false, and it leads to, to, to um, eternal separation from God. But God did not just appoint Christ to be any high priest. It stated that Jesus was like Melchizedek, verse 6 here, as he was a high priest. According to Genesis 14, 18, the thing that made Melchizedek such a unique priest was the fact that he was a king priest who had been specifically appointed by God. You see, most priests were not kings, but Melchizedek was one who was. Most priests were not kings, but Melchizedek was different. Jesus Christ, though, is the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And the high priest was appointed by the Father. Now, there's a particular, peculiar feature of Hebrews 5, 6, that Jesus Christ is a king priest forever. Melchizedek's kingly priesthood eventually ended when he died, but Christ's priesthood is forever. 
And that point is going to be stressed at least six more times in the book, in chapter 6, in chapter 7. And chapter 7 has it about four or five times. And since he is the high priest forever, Jesus is in a position to give salvation forever. Go see Hebrews 7, verses 23 through 28. He was divinely chosen and he was sovereignly selected. Christ has always been God. He didn't become God when he was selected. He took on flesh. But we are not free to look for our own Savior. There's only one who can represent us before God, and the one is God himself, God the Father himself chose. Now, how is he selected? He said there, you are my son. It's the Father's choice. It's the Father's decree. Speaking of his virgin birth and his incarnation, he says, you're a priest forever. Again, the Father designated him for this role, and only Jesus meets the requirements. He was not a self-appointed priest. Any other will be turned away by the Father. That's why you need Jesus. And Jesus came reminding yourself here that he came to serve and not be served. He came to give his life, a ransom for many. He came so the lost may live. But Jesus' qualifications and his work as our great high priest are never ending. He's never going to let you go. He's never going to fall back on his promises. His character never changes. Your sin is forever forgiven in his name alone. All because God the Father selected his son to be our high priest representative. That is the first thing. Only he meets the qualifications. The second qualification Jesus met, though, is found in a very short little piece there at the beginning of verse 7. Hear what it says. It says, in the days of his flesh, in the days of his flesh, just stop right there. We saw in verse 1 that high priests were chosen from among men. In the days of his flesh, Jesus became a man. Again, the high priest was not an angel. Only one who was a man could represent mankind before God. But you and me have a problem, don't we? We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Therefore, the reason for the incarnation, the, the reason Jesus took on humanity perfectly, was for him to represent us, because he must be made like us. And we recall from chapter 2 that he was made a little lower than the angels. Yet his prayers here in verse 7 were heard, because of his perfect piety. He was not beset with the sins and weaknesses that were mentioned in verse uh, 2 about the other high priest. And God the Son aimed his prayers at God the Father. And the Bible tells us that Jesus did this because he was the only one qualified to do this. It has well been said that no one ever started so high, and, and hum no one's ever started so high, and humbled himself so low as Jesus did in the incarnation. No one ever started so high or humbled himself so low as Jesus did in the incarnation. And so, friends, you need to know that Jesus, in the days of his flesh, was selected from among men, not because there was a vote, but because God the Father allowed him to be incarnated, to take on flesh, to tabernacle among us, John 1. He moved in the neighborhood, one translation says, to humble himself to die for our sins. The third thing that separates Jesus from human high priest, you see there at the verses 7 and 8, is that he, he is sympathetic towards men. Now wait, Pastor, don't you, didn't you just say that, that human high priests are sympathetic too? Sure, but they're not perfect. But I want you to see here a very important point. Look back at verse 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death who was able to save him from death, and he had, was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. 
I want us to see a very important part here that's being made. Obedience to do the will of God is learned. Becoming obedient is a process. Now, we typically learn by failure, but Christ never failed. He was without sin. He learned a little differently than we do. What Jesus learned is that when you obey the will of God on earth, it will lead to suffering and pain, and before it leads to great elation and great joy. One commentator said that this does not mean, quote, for an instant that there was anything like disobedience or even the slightest tendency towards a difference between his will and that of the Father. His attitude of obedience was perfect from the first. He said in another scripture, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. But by means of his experience of human life, the attitude of obedience was expressed in action. And so it was not that he was learning to obey as though there were any opposition of will, but Jesus was learning obedience by means of discipline. Look, the whole experience of Jesus Christ's journey to earth was an educational one. Jesus Christ learned all about the discipline and suffering that it would take to fulfill God's will as the God-man and as our great high priest. And you look back to verse 2, he did this as was said about the human high priest. He dealt with them gently, with the ignorant. He was compassionate and understanding. It implicitly applies here that you notice there in verse 7, rather, he says that with loud cries and tears. The only other times that Jesus cried was at the tomb of Lazarus in in John 11, or when he saw Jerusalem because of what he knew uh, knew he could have done, or when he was in Gethsemane facing the crucifixion as he prayed to the Father in John 17. The point of all this is, is the text says in verse 7 that he offered up prayers and supplications. This means he was sympathetic. He went through all we have gone through. He went through great suffering into this world that he's now qualified to receive sinners because he lived in the same world. And you notice there that he cried out to him who was able to save him from death. And as he prayed in the garden, he prayed what would naturally come from our lips. And that is that he would be safe. He went to Gethsemane, which literally means press, and he began to be sorrowful, Matthew 26, 37, for the sins of his people. He, he was thinking of the wrath on, uh, that was coming on him. He was grieved in distress. In Matthew 26, 37, he was even to the point of death. Matthew 26, 39, Jesus prays, My Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. And that cup, again, is the suffering and the sin of the people added up and stirred together, if you will, and the wrath of God. It was a wicked cup. It was one of divine judgment. And as this cup was handed, spiritually speaking, to Jesus, he took a step back and knew the enormity of what he was called to do. Yet he prayed in Matthew 26 and the other gospel accounts, Lord, not my will, but as you will. He gave his will to death to his father. He pledged himself afresh for us. And he kept finding those disciples sleeping over and over again. Yet he said, If this can't go away, then I will drink it. Your will be done. The answer to the Father, though, came in the resurrection, that three days later, Jesus resurrected from the dead. And yet, because Jesus was heard by the Father, we, too, can pray in the name of Jesus, and we are heard. And what great joy that is. Jesus sees our prayers are answered, and we pray in the name of the one who is heard, and we we will, too. Look, Jesus is the only Son of God. He's even the perfect Savior, that it, but He isn't the perfect Savior that's exempt from suffering. He sacrificed for us Himself while being sympathetic to us through Himself. The last thing I want you to see, it sets Jesus apart. 
from human priest is just that. It's that he's sacrificing for men. Look back at verse 9. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. And being designated by God a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. It says, although he suffered, he learned obedience. You think, you think he'd have a great spiritual privilege. You think God the Father would just sail him through any suffering. But it says he learned obedience. He grew in the depths of his obedience to the Father. He had never been stretched or challenged. Jesus hadn't in obedience like this. And the cross far exceeded anything that had been over him. And more than any temptation in the wilderness that was prepped for what was about to come. He learned a new dependence on his father to, that he would die for our sins. And other high priests could bring something, someone else's blood to the fray. But Jesus had to learn it, and of course he offered his own blood. All the sacrifices of the Old Testament could, ta- could not take away sin. They were a symbol. It couldn't save anybody. But Hebrews 10 tells us that God takes no pleasure in sacrifices. But Jesus came to be the ultimate sacrifice. That's where the pleasure would be. And the Father gave his Son a demanding will. It says he was made perfect. Look, this doesn't imply that Jesus was ever imperfect. He was always been without sin. Doesn't mean he was sinful. Hebrews 4.15 says he was without sin. What it does mean is that he was made complete or fully mature, that he was fully consecrated to the Father and offering up himself for our sins. And he completed his qualification course for becoming our eternal high priest. And that's what it says at the end of verse 9. He became to all those a source of eternal life. You see, you know, in verse 8, Jesus obeyed as a man to learn. But in verse 9, now we have to obey him. It means when we enter the kingdom of heaven, we obey the gospel and God's command to repent of our sins and burn bridges behind us. We surrender to his sovereign lordship and there's never a pretty please option. We share the gospel. It's a command. And so, friend, if you're living in disobedience and you're listening to this, you've never truly come to know Jesus, you need to repent now and turn to him. You see, if we don't have a lifestyle of obedience, then we are not saved. We are saved by the one who learned obedience, and it's an entrance to the life of obedience. 1 John 3, 2 says, By this we know we've come to know him, speaking of Christ, if we keep his commandments. One who says, I know him, but doesn't keep his commandments, is a liar. But do you have what he offers? And that last phrase there, salvation, eternal life, is a quality of life before duration. You will live forever, but more so, you have the God of eternity that lives with you. What is settled in eternity can never be undone in time. But I want to remind you today, if my salvation depended on me, I would be forever damned. And we are called to perfectly obey But let's not be discouraged. Jesus perfectly obeyed on our behalf because he knew, the Father knew that we would not. Christian, today we have a Savior who is the great high priest. We have pastors and spiritual leaders who do their best. But at the end of the day, Jesus is the only high priest you'll ever need because he's the only one that met the Father's qualifications. Will you pray with me today as we close out? Father, thank you for taking care of us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us these truths from Scripture. Father, as we are about 40 to 45% the way through our study, we pray you help us to know your will for us. Grow us together. I pray for Easter coming up that you be with Pastor Nelson as he preaches the word, and Brian as he leads music, and others helping, Lord. Let your will be done. 
We pray all this today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Again, apologies about the live stream, but if you have any questions, please feel free to drop it off. Look forward to seeing you next Sunday. Bye-bye.